after police in Hong Kong arrested a woman accused of torturing her Indonesian maid in a case which has sparked protests. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning, three minutes after eight o'clock. Welcome to Money for Nothing. I'm Brian Curtis. Well, the Ukraine government and the opposition declare a truce, providing a measure of calm to emerging markets. Facebook buys instant messaging service WhatsApp for up to $19 billion. And Tesla announces very strong earnings and says its Beijing store is now the company's busiest. First, Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg. WhatsApp evolved from this model of really replacing SMS. It's, um, it's a service for very quickly and reliably um, real-time communication with all of your contacts and small groups of people. But $19 billion? We'll have more for you in just a moment. And the Fed released its January minutes. The minutes show that Fed policymakers saw their economic outlook basically on track despite the weak December jobs report and volatility in emerging markets. And as a result, they made very few changes to their statement. And uh, that is Bloomberg's Peter Cook. We'll get a full report from him in a few short minutes. Guests on the program today include Richard Harris from Port Shelter Investment Management. We'll be looking at markets with Richard. Andreas Vogelsanger from Asia Frontier Capital will be along to talk about opportunities in Vietnam. A measure in the country, the Ho Chi Minh Index, suggests that things are looking up there. The index is up more than 14% so far this year. And we'll also bring in Robert Greaves from Hamilton Advisors to talk about native advertising, the new kid on the block in terms of trying to monetize online journalism. Call it content marketing or brand journalism. It's finding its way into leading media outlets like the New York Times and The Guardian. Let's take a look at Asian markets here as we get moving. The Nikkei is down 67 points. Uh, That's about a half a percent lower at 14,699. Australia is higher, though. The uh, ASX 200, they're up about 11 points at 5246. So that's a gain of a fifth of 1%. And in Seoul, the Kospi is down about half a percent off 10 points at 1932. As we mentioned earlier, investors are a little bit jittery about what we've seen happening of late in Ukraine. However, in just the past hour or so, we have seen a truce declared. Ukrainian President Viktor Yanukovych said that he is starting negotiations with opposition leaders to try to end the bloodshed in his country. After a meeting with the opposition, the state statement by the presidential palace was put out that said, one, truce, two, beginning of negotiations aimed at cessation of bloodshed and stabilization of the situation. Stephen Sestanovich is a senior fellow at the Council on Foreign Relations. He said any truce would likely be fragile. I think both sides are afraid of confrontation here. They're afraid of letting this become just a, a wild melee in the in the streets. Uh, and so there have been efforts over the past several days to try to organize some kind of high-level talks between the lead, leaderships, uh, both in the government and the opposition. But those have tended to break down because the violence just keeps getting worse and there's so little trust on either side. 
So we'll be watching that closely. Stay tuned uh, to Radio 3 all day today for more on that story. Oil prices up to $110.47 and a modest pullback in gold to $1,320 an ounce. The dollar is worth 102.32 yen. The euro is up to 1.3732 U.S. dollars. And the pound is now 12 Hong Kong dollars, 93 cents. The news flow, Facebook buying WhatsApp for $19 billion in cash and stock. Up to that figure, it is Facebook's largest acquisition by far and is part of a recent frenzy to acquire popular startups. Facebook will pay $4 billion in cash and $12 billion worth of Facebook shares for what? app. Then there's an additional $3 billion in restricted stock units that will be granted to WhatsApp employees and founders. These units will vest over the next four years. Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg said WhatsApp is on a path to connect a billion people. He said the services that reach that milestone are all incredibly valuable. WhatsApp evolved from this model of really replacing SMS. It's, um, it's a service for very quickly and reliably Um, real-time communication with all of your contacts and small groups of people. And, um, you know, there's, we think that those are two pretty big and different use cases and that the world needs both and that we're going to help our community the most by continuing to invest in both. So um, Yana's saying that, you know, WhatsApp obviously has their roadmap and is going to keep on pushing on that independently. Um, Similarly, the Messenger team is going to continue with their roadmap exactly, and they're going to continue to operate independently as well with the team that's running that today inside Facebook. So the Jan he referred to there is Jan Kuhm, WhatsApp co-founder and uh, chief executive. Uh, He and uh, his co-founder both came from Yahoo a few years back. And uh, Mr. Zuckerberg said Facebook's Messenger app and WhatsApp would operate in parallel. And in another major story, Tesla said it expects to sell more than 35,000 Model S vehicles this year. In announcing earnings, the company gave a rather bright outlook. Revenue was a little short, but profit handily beat estimates. Earnings were 33 cents a share in the fourth quarter, compared to estimates of 26, and also compared to a loss of 65 cents in the same period last year. Shares jumped 12% after hours to 217.02. The company said that gross margins could hit 28% this year, and it said that the Beijing store is now the busiest. On Wall Street, stocks down along with treasuries, although not by too much. The dollar gained a little as minutes from the Fed indicated that tapering would likely continue. Again, we'll get that report in just a minute. Some other headlines. The IMF warned of risks to global growth and Ukraine's bonds tumbled amid the duress there. However, with that truce being declared uh, after the close, sentiment is now slightly better. The S&P 500 was down 0.6% at 1828. It got to within one point of a record. Record closing high. The Dow Jones Industrial Average was down 89 points at 16,040. Ten-year Treasury yields rose two basis points to 2.73 percent. More now on the Fed minutes from Peter Cook. There was agreement on the need to continue the taper. The minutes say all members agreed that the cumulative improvement in labor market conditions and the likelihood of continuing improvement indicated that it would be appropriate to make a further measured reduction in the pace of its asset purchases at this meeting. But at the table, a number of participants noted that they should be ready to adjust the purchases if the economy took a turn for the worse. And even though they did not change their forward guidance language in that January statement, they indicated changes are coming. And that's 
important. Participants agreed that with the unemployment rate approaching 6.5%, it would soon be appropriate for the committee to change its forward guidance in order to provide information about its decisions regarding the federal funds rate after that threshold was crossed. And participants talked about what changes might be made if that threshold is crossed. A range of ideas were discussed at the table, from updating the quantitative guidance, simply changing the thresholds. Others talked about perhaps a more qualitative approach, listing more of the factors that would guide their decisions going forward, with financial stability and inflation running below their target as factors to be considered. Markets were also a little bit troubled by some comments from the Atlanta Fed President Dennis Lockhart. He said he could see perhaps interest rates being increased by around the middle of next year. He also said that he was puzzled that inflation was so low, even with all the recent Fed action. If we don't see um, an indication in inflation numbers of that uh, continued growth of the economy, if we don't see that pickup, then um, there may be something more fundamental at work that we need to understand better. And at the, at the moment, we, you know, we're somewhat puzzled by, by what we've seen so far. And so that is the Atlanta Fed President, Dennis Lockhart. Let's say good morning now to Richard Harris, Chief Executive of Port Shelter Investment Management. Richard, good morning. Hello, Brian. Yes, and just mentioned for the audience as well that uh, European markets were very stable overnight. The FTSE 100 up about a quarter of a point, so almost no change there. Same for the DAX. The DAX is at 9,660, and the Cacheron in Paris uh, up 10 points at 4,341. So even with the turmoil that we see across emerging markets, Markets, uh, the major markets have been very stable. What's your outlook at the moment? Well, that, that's right. I'm not terribly surprised because I think what we're really seeing is uh, a long-term process whereby the U.S. economy is recovering slowly, uh, fast in parts, but slowly uh, in a lot of others. Uh, the same with the European economy. And the emerging markets really are takers. They really have to take the demand that comes from those economies. So the emerging markets are always going to follow. While they're following, they have really not an awful lot of direction. So I'm not terribly surprised to see the uh, emerging markets wallowing a little bit. The IMF put out that report today. It said capital outflows, higher interest rates and sharp currency depreciation in emerging economies remain a key concern. You think they just have to battle through that? I think so. I, I also think you have to be careful what you talk about emerging economies because you have um, the uh, the BRICS, as they're called, and, and that's largely uh, Brazil and Russia, which are commodity markets. Of course, commodities haven't been that good. India, which has had trouble of its own um, uh, domestically with um, – uh, with foreign exchange. Uh, and China, of course, where we've seen the economy slow down quite substantially. But each of those markets has different reasoning. Then you've got markets like Ukraine, where you've got clear issues. Um, Turkey, where you've had clear political issues as well. Um, and some people even call the Asian markets uh, emerging markets in some of the areas. And quite clearly, those markets aren't really affected in the main by the same factors. Let's put the question to you that um, some smart questioner put to Dennis Lockhart, and he said they were puzzled. Why, with all of this money printing in the United States, in England, at the Bank of England, you know, throughout Europe, in the Bank of Japan, PBOC, why don't we see any inflation or not much of it? 
Well, I think really what's happened is a lot of that liquidity has really been stuck in the financial system. You know, it's a, it's a monetary exercise, so it's all to do with money. It hasn't really trickled down into Main Street. And you really see inflation creeping through. When you have the guy in the street going to his boss and saying, I'd like a raise, when you have people paying uh, big prices for things in the street, I'm not uh, counting Facebook paying, or paying a ridiculous price for WhatsApp, uh, but for the guy in the street, it's this over all uh, broadness. Um, I think inflation is there, possibly down the road, unless they can squeeze a lot of this cash out of the system, and that may well happen. Um, but at the moment, there really are relatively few inflationary pressures because everybody's just worried about their jobs. Okay, um, let me go back to a comment you made there about Facebook. Do you think that's ridiculous? Nineteen billion for WhatsApp? Well, if you say if you look at uh, WhatsApp, pretty well being half the value now of Twitter, uh, you have to say they really have overpaid. Now they've overpaid because. Uh, this is uh, a company that has 450 million users around the world and they're signing a million people a day. Uh, so that's a huge increase in eyeballs and people that are actually coming in. Um, if you look at Facebook, Facebook is actually losing subscribers at the moment. Um, and uh, that's, um, that, that's uh, an issue that's um, likely to continue for a while. Yeah, I'm just hearing something in the background, uh, wondering what that is. Uh, if it's coming from your side, let's see if we can uh, close that off. Uh, some uh, music there in, in the background. Uh, um, yesterday, I had a guest on. Uh, sorry to change uh, subject or to uh, to change topics a little bit, but uh, yesterday we we joked around a little bit about um, uh, the PBOC and what it was facing with uh, the money pulling back. You know, the tapering of of the Fed. Um, and uh, Michael Kurtz, one of my guests, was saying uh, that we would see sterilization instruments in reverse and he was talking about macro compression risk and I was um, joking about the jargon that we use in business a lot but let's take a minute to explain that uh, sterilization instruments in reverse and get your comment on it I think what he was trying to say was that you know as a lot of money uh, as a lot of money flows into uh, you know dollars in particular flows around the world the PBOC for instance would have to then print yuan uh, to to change those dollars into yuan and uh, and then at, at some point, uh, it would have to mop up the excess of UN that w was out there. Now, if you have a lot less dollars coming in, you have a lot less money printing of UN. Therefore, you might actually have, uh, you know, a fall off in stimulus to the economy, the juice that was running around. The, and he was just saying that they might have to actually go back in and provide uh, more um, more stimulus. But that may not be the case while these reforms are happening. So how do you see that? Do you see the reforms as happening smoothly in China? I, I think the reforms are quite difficult. Clearly what they've gone first is to look at a lot of the political reforms. Um, many of the economic reforms I think have yet to come through. Um, but I think one of the big issues in China is the issue of Chinese debt. And clearly a lot of liquidity has been created because there's been a lot of credit created. And the Chinese now have a rather difficult problem is, do they try and pull back some of this liquidity out of the economy and therefore maybe exacerbate the slowdown of the Chinese economy, or do they let it continue as it is? Um, that, I think, is being complicated by what we're seeing with tapering overseas, but I don't think it's being dominated by it. So I really think much of what's happening there is really the liquidity situation happening in China uh, through their own domestic issues uh, than uh, a lot of impact from overseas. Are you reasonably optimistic? 
about China, the Chinese economy. Yeah. I think it, China, again, it's a taker. It really depends on demand from the West. And we need the little guy, as we were saying earlier, the small guy in the street, uh, to start buying Chinese goods because that's where you get the mass demand coming in. What do you we mean when you say it's a taker? You said that about EM generally, but what do you mean it's a taker? Uh, basically, China at the moment uh, doesn't really have a domestic economy big enough to support its huge industrial base, which is designed to provide goods around the world. So therefore, it's really dependent on exports from overseas. Um, so it really has to take uh, whatever demand it has to get. Um, and unfortunately, that's just the way it is at the moment until, until the Chinese economy really does continue to mature uh, and develop a very strong domestic uh, consumption base itself. If you were buying or selling now, what would you be doing? I'm certainly a buyer. I think that um, what we've seen in the markets recently is a slowdown in the economies that I don't find um, uh, a real surprise. I think the markets have come back. Yes, in the last two weeks, we've seen the markets move on ahead. Uh, but what I think that that's showing is even though we've got some relatively difficult news on the economic front, which I think is sort of mid-cycle, we still have um, the stock markets looking to want to move ahead. When markets want to continue to want to buy, uh, then I think it's quite difficult to stand in the way. Okay, the time is now 19 and a half minutes after 8 o'clock, and this is Money for Nothing. just catch our breath here for a minute. We welcome now Andreas Vogelsanger to the program. He's the chief executive uh, at Asia Frontier Capital, and we thought we'd have a discussion about Vietnam. And it's kind of a nice segue from Richard's last comment. Andreas, good morning. Good morning. Yes, so talking about uh, the export machine in China, and if it weakens at all, one of the reasons might be that costs are up for labor, and uh, the yuan is more expensive, and thus some uh, manufacturing has moved to places like Vietnam. And we have seen a nice pickup in the in the main index there, which I said was more than 14 percent. Are you bullish on Vietnam? Yes, we we certainly are bullish. Um, I think the markets um, went a little bit ahead of of itself. We saw a lot of uh, of money pouring in into ETFs and that pushed up the market uh, beginning of the year. of course, we were quite pleased about that because it proves a little bit the low correlation of Vietnam towards other markets. So, so it it didn't participate in that sell-off which we saw in January, which was quite quite good actually. So it doesn't have a uh, trade surplus uh, necessarily, but it has a, almost a surplus of capital, and there was a lot of investment dollars are rolling in. Sure. Uh, we, uh, you mentioned before, you know, foreign direct investments is on the rise. We see uh, companies like Samsung uh, shifting their production unit for, uh, in the mobile business from China into Vietnam. Uh, Intel is shifting some parts of their productions into Vietnam. I think that has probably to do, on one hand, with the labor costs, which are four times uh, uh, cheaper than in China at the moment. But um, as well, educational level. I mean, we saw recently uh, PISA, which uh, looked at education around the world and they put Vietnam on the same level as Singapore, which is obviously mm. much higher than the regional peers. And these are two very powerful arguments. I mean, the competitive labor costs with a skilled labor force and, of course, demographics. Last but not least, we, 70% of the Vietnamese population is below 40 years old. So it's interesting because Vietnam, a lot of people might think of as an emerging market, but I suppose it's more of a frontier market. It hasn't actually even graduated to EM status. Does that mean that it avoided some of the turmoil that we saw coming out of places like Argentina, Turkey, Brazil, Indonesia and the like? 
Absolutely, it has its own dynamics, um, and, and hence uh, it, it's an interesting uh, bet to take. You know, you, you really diversify your your investments in going into frontier markets because they are not as correlated um, as uh, to, to to the other markets, and 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 as we clearly saw in, in January, uh, they didn't react to it. And what would you say are the main risks for either portfolio managers looking at Vietnam or actually companies like you mentioned uh, setting up manufacturing outlets? Well, I think from an investment perspective, um, I, I think you, you have to, to be realistic and, and realize that corruption is still an issue in, um, in Vietnam. And, and, and hence, you, you need to, to have a well-diversified portfolio in order to participate in that market. Um, we strongly believe you shouldn't have a concentrated risk in single stocks. So, so we spread over 60 different stocks in, in, in our approach. Just out of curiosity, how many stocks are actually available? Um, are you talking about stocks listed uh, in Vietnam or just companies listed around the region that do business there? No, actually, what, what we do, we just look at listed companies in uh, Vietnam. There are around 750 stocks. Wow, wow. And uh, we monitor uh, around 150 of those, uh, which, which we think look attractive. Active, and uh, as I said, we invested in 60, so very widely diversified. Richard, re-enter this picture. Do you like Vietnam at all? I, I think it's quite interesting. I, I do quite like the, um, the these frontier markets. They, they are diversified in a different sort of way, but the big issue with them is the liquidity. Um, often you can put money in, and it's jolly difficult to get it out, certainly when you want to do it. And that, my, my question um, to you, Andy, is um, uh, exactly how liquid are some of these stocks? Some of them, I guess, you can only put almost tens of thousands of dollars into. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, you see... Um, market capitalization of around two, three, four, five million dollars are, are the small companies. So, so yes, they're not liquid in 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 our uh, understanding of liquidity. If you are in active in mature markets, but um, but but yes, hence hence you really can't have concentration risk. In order to get out of these positions again, you should only allocate a small portion. I heard, uh, Andreas, that labor in China was now five times more expensive than Vietnam and ten times more expensive than Bangladesh. Uh, is that about right? And does that mean that there's a long runway for um, good business opportunities in Vietnam? Yeah, absolutely. I think, the, the, as I mentioned before, I think the competitive labor forces which we see in uh, in, in terms of salary in, in Vietnam and places like Bangladesh uh, is really a key driver. Yeah. But, but but I think it needs to be a skilled labor force, which really makes a difference. And you see that, and in, see Vietnam. that in Vietnam. Yeah. Okay, Andreas, thank you very much for joining us here on Money for Nothing. Thank you very much. Well, this next segment is kind of interesting. Away from markets uh, for a few minutes. Content marketing, brand journalism, native advertising, the new kid on the block, paid posts. These are some of the names that get thrown around for this sort of new kind of advertorial. It's a little bit different from what you used to think of as advertorials, but it is advertising content making its way into journalism. We're joined by Robert Greaves, chairman and chief executive of Hamilton Advisors. Robert, good morning. Good morning, Brian. Do you see this as dangerous or as a sort of natural evolution? Well, it's a natural evolution. I mean, you have to look at what brands are faced with these days. They really need to earn the trust and loyalty of customers. And in the digital age, that's very difficult with attention spans being short and with uh, 
various uh, uh, product recalls and pollution and labor problems happening. It's difficult. Here's one statistic that emerged from 2013 that, that really indicates how this is being driven. You're more likely to survive a plane crash than click on a banner ad online unless it's by accident. And indeed, the research shows that 50% of clicks on mobile ads are accidental. So the, the trick is how do you engage uh, consumers? And when you've seen it done well, how is it done? You know, it really is in the form of advertorial. It's in the form almost, as you say, of journalism, and it, and it provides information. And people are looking for an authentic experience. They're looking for uh, information. They're looking for material that is almost transcendental, takes them outside their normal experience. They want to learn something. They want to become engaged, and they want to be entertained. So the emphasis is really on the user experience? It's, it's on um, experiences that are around and perhaps a little away from a product. For example, Mini USA is a popular website that sells or you can buy and lease a Mini Cooper um, through this site. And they had one of the most popular uh, native ads in 2013, and it was called 10 Places That Look Not Normal But Are Actually Real. That sounds a little clunky. And it was just about natural places around the world, mountains, rivers, lakes, streams, whatever, that, that you could look at and say, wow, that's great. Why would they do that? Because they want people to think about traveling. And if you think about traveling, maybe you'll buy a car. And, uh, you know, you think of the stodgy conservative and uh, media outlets with the biggest reputations that they might have held off a lot. But you do see uh, that that uh, paid post uh, couple of um, that phrase that I mentioned, that's uh, straight from The New York Times and The Guardian as well. I take it that they are approaching this, um, you know, where the journalism comes first. But still, they are as long as it doesn't encroach on the journalism, they're they're starting to welcome it. Well, and also um, the point is they need to monetize the channel. And The New York Times has been leading the way on this. I think they're the best, as I've said on this program before, doing this. I want to just show you how this can go horribly wrong, though. The Atlantic magazine uh, does a lot of advertorial work, and last year they did one on the Church of Scientology's milestone year in 2012. It was a puff piece. It got a lot of criticism from people, and in fact, the satirical site The Onion uh, was urged, uh, was spurred on to do a fake-sponsored advertorial headlined, The Taliban is a vibrant and thriving political movement. So this can sort of backlash a little bit if you're not careful about it and have internal guidelines. And what about Asia versus the U.S. and Europe in adapting or adopting this? That's a really good question. I did a little research this morning, and, and it's really all driven from Europe and the U.S. right now. Asia has not really started to do this big time. And so in, in a sense, um, in, the, in the big publications, uh, in their online, do, do they, they try to weave it in or do they try to make it clear that this is – this is some sort of advertorial or you know content marketing content. They will weave it in. In some cases, they'll use the same font size and type as the regular news articles, but they will always flag it. They'll um, put like a shading, a blue shading or something like that? Or, or, or they will say advertorial or sponsored content or something like that. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, how exciting, you know, in your world, because this seems like it's um, – uh, triangulation in a sense. Uh, you know, you get the media and you've got the marketer and you've got the consumer. You know, these are three very distinct different areas coming together in this. Is it, is it a great move? It's, well, it's good for, um, 
I don't know about journalism so much. It's uh, except for monetizing the content. Because you need money to do good journalism. You need money to do good journalism, and it's really great for public relations and for marketers because it allows us more outlets to put our clients' views forward. Okay, well, we'll have to go, unfortunately, on that. Uh, It's a good topic, though, and uh, one that we might um, uh, traverse our way through in uh, a longer segment sometime down the road. Thank you, Robert. Thank you. So that's Robert Greaves, the CEO of Hamilton Advisors. I did have a couple of other little tidbits. I'll try to slip a couple of them in. HSBC Market, the flash manufacturing PMI will be out uh, today. 49.5 is what uh, 17 economists surveyed said. Sands China, the Macau casino operator controlled by the billionaire Sheldon, Sheldon Adelson, expects industry-wide gaming revenue in the city to rebound more than 20% this year. And Tencent has acquired about 20% in Dian. Ping, that is the operator of a Yelp-like website in China, which offers a lot of restaurant services. So there's a couple of stories. You can investigate them if you like. Well, let's take a look at the weather today. We're expecting fine and dry conditions, but very cold. The maximum temperature, just 14 degrees, 7 when I left my house this morning at 530. Not proud. That's just what it was. It was early. Remaining cold tomorrow. Temperatures rising in the next couple of days. The current air temperature is just around 10 degrees. Eight thirty-one. the news with Etienne Lamy-Smith. The Ukrainian president, Viktor Yanukovych, has agreed a truce with opposition leaders after two days of deadly clashes between riot police and anti-government protesters. Following talks with the three main opposition leaders, Mr. Yanukovych released a statement saying they'd agreed negotiations aimed at stopping the bloodshed. Shortly after those talks ended, opposition representative Vitaly Klitschko said he was pleased with the progress so far. I'm very happy because we take the decision to break the escalation and uh, I hope tonight we'll be not fighting anymore because tomorrow morning we sit again and try to find a compromise between uh, the opposition or people and Gion. 